my very good friend and longtime colleague, current CEO of Praxis, Cameron Soresby. How you doing? Pretty good over here. How about you, Isaac? <laughs> doing good, friend. <laughs> felt like you're about funny? To, felt like you're yeah, I felt like you were about to drop a sport or a chief or something in there. Um, I gotta before we start, because I want to talk about you, you have such a great, such a great story. I want to talk about your story and I want to talk about what's going on with Praxis these days. But I gotta ask you to start with. You get to pick one. Which would you rather answer? What is going on with your San Antonio Spurs or what is going on with your New York Giants? Let's talk Giants. <laughs> okay. You just, you're done with the, will, the Spurs. Huh? It, will, it will make me angrier and that will give me fuel for the rest of the day. <laughs> this is what I love about you. Some people feed off of positive feedback and praise. You're one of those guys that the chip on your shoulder, the anger, that's your motivator. I love it. So get let's get angry about the Giants and then we'll get into your story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's been pretty futile for going on almost a decade here. And, um, you know, they've actually made some reasonable hires and, and decisions this offseason so far, but the talent on the team is just so low that it, there's just like no short-term hope whatsoever. You So you just don't, you're not like, Oh, I'm excited about next year. No, no chance. I'm, <laughs> I'm thankful that uh, the previous GM and coach are, are gone. And it like the only thing to be slightly hopeful about is like, it's, it's hit rock bottom and the owners are going to try to write the ship, but that's always dangerous. Like that's always tricky with sports franchises. Cause it's like, you know, these owners have been around for decades. How much are they actually going to change at the end yeah. of the day? And let me tell you, as a Lions fan, it is entirely possible to stay at rock bottom for extended periods. So yeah. <laughs> there's no promises. Um, yeah. <laughs> dude, so I was just thinking about when you and I first met, you were, you were a student at College of Charleston. You were running some, some student clubs and stuff. Um, Actually, okay, let's start a little, let's start before that. Give me, tell me about your upbringing. Tell me about your education, because here you are, you're the CEO of a college alternative and you're, and you're helping people skip college completely and go into, you know, get their career started, do apprenticeships. And, you know, I mean, you've been really passionate about that ever since. I mean, you've been working with Praxis for six, six years, seven years. I don't know. Since 2015. So 25- six, oh my gosh. Yeah. Six, six that, years. That, this at least. Month. Yeah. Maybe more than that. And yeah. And yeah. So what, I mean, I want to know like your background, your upbringing. I mean, I know some of this stuff, but I want to hear a little more and I want to, to, to everybody listening. How did you end up there? Like, give, give me, give me your story. Yeah. So growing up, I, I think it's, you know, somewhat common. Like I was a kid who never really gelled with the school environment. I loved to learn. I was pretty intellectually curious. Um, I was like into politics and current events at like age eight. I remember like watching like late night, like late night show with 
in like Jay Leno and Dave Letterman and they'd bring on like important people. And, you know, I remember like I was born in 1990. I remember following like the Clinton Lewinsky scandal and things like that. <laughs> and then that, you know, evolved into like listening to talk radio with my parents, um, you know, going to and from school and soccer practice and everything. And like at 10 year olds, I had 10 years old, I had like very strong opinions on what was going on in the world and everything. And I like to read. I always, you know, was typically, you know, reading some kind of biography or like political commentary book and, and whatnot. And I love playing sports. I was super competitive. I was a good soccer player growing up. That was like, took up all of my time outside of school, essentially. So school was always this thorn in my side. It was, I felt like it was the thing that was preventing me from getting to do the things I actually wanted to do. Um, when, when there was an interesting class, usually like history, um, I would be engaged in class, but even then it was like, I'm busy with soccer outside of school. Like, I don't even want to do the homework, even if the, you know, even if the homework isn't too bad, like it always seemed ridiculous to me. I think I like innately knew there was something wrong with the structure and environment of school, but I didn't know of like clear alternatives at, at that time. So I just kind of grew up almost with this like guilt complex of like, you know, I'm not putting in enough effort into my studies. And, you know, I was always told by, you know, not just my parents, but like other adults and teachers, like, Hey, you're, you seem to be like a really smart kid, but you just don't apply yourself. Like what's up with that? <laughs> Um, meanwhile, like with soccer, like work my ass off to get better at something that I was, you know, motivated to, to get better at. And it was just like a struggle. It was, it put, it definitely like created friction and tension and between me and my parents from time to time, like it wasn't all that, but like at the end of the day, I would always do what I needed to do to, you know, get good enough grades to keep people off my back. Um, but it was just like a pain in the ass. And it would always come back to that. And um, I love how you put it that you felt guilty. That I think that's one of the biggest sort of subconscious things that so many kids have. And then it sticks with people throughout their life yeah. is yeah. this feeling that like you're sort of conditioned that all the things that are good are the things that you don't want to do. Right. So, oh, the things that are good and make you a good person that you get praised for and are told are important are like studying for some random quiz that some teacher decided was important in some class you never picked and all the things that you enjoy doing, those are things that you're not supposed to be doing those. Right. And so just this idea that learning is that thing that I'm supposed to like, but I don't like it. So I must be some sort of degenerate or, or something. And the things that I like are all the things that are terrible for me. And they're a distraction in there. And it just, it gives you this idea that like you have a choice. You can either be a good person and decide that you love the academic way that learning is presented, which is very hard to love unless you're slightly sociopathic. Uh, or you can just decide I'm not a very good person or not a very smart person or not. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a terrible burden to be put on people, you know? Yep. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think what most people that have that kind of experience, they essentially grow up and what they learn subconsciously is like life is not supposed to be like a joyful experience at a, <laughs> at a deep level, like seriously. And, um, you know, to be a good person, you have to do things that 
other people are compelling you to do, which is tricky because, you know, the answer to that isn't to become like a lazy rebellion. To actually become a degenerate. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. But it, you know, you have to, I think I'm actually, you know, we'll talk about this, but I'm, I'm really grateful and I'm almost, I, I wouldn't say I'm proud, but I, I appreciate the school experience that I did and the mindset that I had, because I think on the flip side, I could have been the type of person who, um, you know, just kind of went along with what I was supposed to do and didn't question things and didn't like, it was almost like a beneficial laziness. Cause at the time I didn't know, I wasn't able to articulate like this, these are my core beliefs of why school is, you know, a negative and, you know, is having a negative impact on my life and there's better things for me, but I was able to like rebel against the norm. And I think that's helped me a lot over the years. Um, I think it's delayed some growth in some ways. Like I think at a later age, I had to develop self-discipline more than, you know, people I've worked with that were always like really good students. And they just like, you know, knew knew kind of how to, you know, they had a certain like self-control and and discipline, I'd say. Um, But I feel like I, I had an innate work ethic from my athletic career growing up and everything. Um, and then it was just about kind of building upon that, but being able to like, what I take away from my school experience is and into my career is like, I was determined to not end up just with like an ordinary job where I could you know, be making six figures, you know, have a good career by other people's standards. I knew in order for, and if I was going to be successful, it had to start with me figuring out how do I do what I want to do? What's personally meaningful to me, which is a lot harder to do as you know, than just kind of, you know, going with whatever the, the trendy normal, um, you know, good careers that, that people think of. Um, but it's, you know, it's so, in so you terms of that. like long game, it's huge. Did you, did you have any idea what kind of career that might be at the time that, that kind of did make you come alive? No idea. No idea. Um, you know, starting in like my mid, like 15, 16, once I realized I wasn't destined to be a professional soccer player anymore. Um, now was that I, because an injury derailed you or because you're, you're, you hit your talent ceiling. Let's be honest here. Cause from my understanding, Both. you would have gone Both. all the way. Both. Yeah. So like, I'll give myself credit. Um, I had a lot of like coaches and trainers. I'd like to think they weren't just trying to fill me up with hot air. Like, you know, I, I was a talented player. I think ultimately I didn't have the talent and like the level of athleticism you need to, you know, get, to the pro level and you can make a good living and stuff. Um, but I was really good. Like my, I was captain of our club team and we were like competing at the national level for like five, six years and stuff. And I learned a lot from that kind of experience. Um, but yeah, I wasn't, I think I would have maxed out as like a small meet, you know, mid-level like D one college team. And I also had injuries like late in high school. So, and I, I just kind of got burnt out from it eventually. And like a lot of people do with youth sports. Yeah. So just yeah. figured to like, all right, this isn't going to end up, 
you know, where I want to go. So I'm just going to kind of move on and figure things out from here. So, so you kind of had a sense that, you know, school didn't really get you fired up you kind of just sort of like did it, did what you needed to. And you also had a sense that you weren't going to be happy just following a track that gets you a good paying job. You needed something that you cared about. How did that factor into the college decision? Like, were you, did your parents want a certain thing for you with college? And you were kind of like, eh, you know, what, what, what ended up, what ended up happening there and how was that decision made? So when I'm senior in high school, the decision to go to college or not, isn't a decision. Like <laughs> even I knew like, Hey, I'm going to college. That's the next thing you do. Yeah. Um, without soccer being kind of like the personal motivating factor for me, I remember I applied to like 16 or 17 different schools. Cause I was just like, I have no, I have no sense of direction as to why I want to do this thing. I just know I'm supposed to do it. It's embarrassing if you don't go to college after high school, um, you know, especially if you don't have some, you know, really cool, impressive, like alternative plan to, to going to school and everything, which nothing existed back then, unless you're some like, you know, prodigal entrepreneur kind of person, which I definitely wasn't that. Um, when I got to school, I struggled, like I did well, it was nice to have a little bit more sense of freedom. I felt like I had to be, you know, a little bit more responsible for myself than I was in high school, but it was ultimately, you know, felt like an extension of high school. Every year I considered dropping out, um, didn't really understand why, why I was there other than just to kind of, you know, appease other people. And that's what you're supposed to do. But I struggled a lot with just trying to figure out, you know, with college or not, like what I wanted to do professionally, I felt like I had big existential, you know, questions all the time of like, it was hard for me to even like picture myself as an adult into my career and what I could be doing in some ways. Like, it was like, I remember thinking like 17, 18, like, wow, like, what am I going to be like when I'm 30? Like, what am I going to be doing? What is my life going to be like? And it was just hard to even picture that because I felt like I didn't get exposed to, you know, yeah, like I knew my parents and people around them. I knew what people 20, 30 years older than me did, but I couldn't see like the next two to three steps in front of me um, due to lack of exposure. And that was like the big theme throughout the college years of just like figuring out what I want to do. And it was actually conversation I had with my, my dad. So my, my parents, like they were very traditional and conservative in the sense of like, Hey, like, yeah, you should go to college. That's, you know, what you have to do to be successful. We want you to be safe and secure and, you know, start a good life and everything. But I never had like pressure from my parents to like, you need to become a lawyer or a doctor, or, you know, this specific career path. They were always pretty encouraging of like, hey, find what you want to do, um, but just, you know, more limited in how you should approach that. But I remember I had a conversation with my dad probably at the right before my junior year of college talking about like, you know, trying to figure out what I want to do. And his big advice is just like, stop worrying about, you know, trying to plan the next 10, 20 years and pick one career path. And it was try to, you know, follow your interests and see where they lead you. And good for you, Mr. And Mrs. Soresby. Not, yeah. not, uh, putting pressure not too on. bad. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So that, that was kind of like a light bulb. So entering my junior year, that's where I was like, all right, I'm not going to worry about if I want to go to law school or what I want to do. 
I know I'm interested in politics. So like, what's the easiest way to get involved in that at this stage? It's, you know, join and help run a student club. And then I volunteered on a political campaign for a couple of weeks. It was a really valuable experience. I, I realized like why I would never want to be like involved in political campaigns, but I also got to be around, you know, for the first time, like other people my age who were also like really interested in more like intellectual topics. And we'd stay up till 2, 3 a.m. talking philosophy. This was a Ron Paul campaign campaign back in 2012. And I realized like, okay, there's something here I like. Yeah, so, so a dro- little different from the, uh, the, the, the blazer wearing, you know, college right. Republicans or whatever who are like yeah, just trying to get a, a bullet on the resume. These are, these are well, the ideas yeah. people. I wasn't, wasn't going to CPAC tonight. Um, but so that was fun. And there was something like, okay, maybe there's something in the like educational space. Like I always loved the idea of becoming a teacher or a soccer coach, even though I hated school, there was always something I liked about that. And so there's, you know, I was a curious person. I kind of knew something was innately wrong with education. So I was kind of always interested in figuring out how to make it better um, and that kind of just led me to getting my career started. And, um, you know, bit by bit, I learned what I did like, what I didn't like about different experiences. And I was really determined to learn by experience, learn by doing something rather than just staying inside my head of, you know, trying to predict what I was meant to do. Yeah. It's so funny how, you know, you, you noticed something that you were good at. Uh, like coaching people or maybe even teaching people, but you, the only, the only context you had, you know, that, that ability to, to sort of convey ideas to people, encourage them, help them level up their skills. You, you recognized that you were good at that and you enjoyed it. But in your experience up till that point, there was really only two ways that you could manifest that as a sports coach or as a classroom teacher. And like, yeah. turns out you're one of, you are a phenomenal manager. You manage people so well and like you wouldn't have known at that time right. that that was another way to express that talent, managing a department or managing a company or, you know, you're managing other people in a business context. Again, that's why it's just so, it's so important to, to try to get those exposure to different ideas earlier. Cause I mean, so many, so many kids that we meet are like, you know, I shouldn't say kids, but young people are like, um, like, what do you want to do? Well, I like to read a lot. So I guess I have to be a librarian or, you know what I mean? It's like the idea of jobs, like comes from a cartoon. It's like, you can be a fireman, an astronaut, you know, or or like a guy that wears a suit and holds a briefcase, whatever that means. You know what I mean? That's one of my favorite things is helping like the people we work with at Praxis and we meet through Praxis and everything. It's just like helping them connect those initial dots of like, what are you interested in right now? What do you enjoy doing? What are your natural strengths? And actually get them thinking about like, oh, there's actually totally different kinds of career opportunities out there that, you know, my current interests and like strengths are relevant to. The thing that makes you good at, at coaching kids in soccer is the same thing that tons of people would pay you for in all sorts of other contexts. Like it's a, it's a more abstract skill than you realize. So so as you're getting near the end of college, you're kind of like, okay, I love ideas and this kind of more, you know, political type stuff and political philosophy. And you kind of had this green light from your dad to, to, to kind of help you say, okay, I don't need to decide long-term. Let's just think about the next couple of years. What's interesting. 
Um, so you were, I think you interned for a couple nonprofits um, during school and I met you then. I think you were, um, you were just about to go intern in Washington, D.C. for the summer yeah. for a nonprofit. And I met you right before that. And you had a business card and you approached me and you gave me your business card because I came and I gave a presentation. Um, I gave a presentation uh, for the for the club that you were a part of. It was like an economics club or something on campus. And uh, I think the presentation was about like social change or how how, how to change the world. How, how social change happens. Yeah, something, something, something like, like that. that yeah. um, and you came up afterwards and gave me your card. And I always, you know, I, I do a lot of those talks back in those days and like, there was always one or two students that would come up afterwards. And there were always right. like, and there were so many others that I'm sure wanted to, but the ones would come up and they would just maybe just ask me a question or something. And you were like, Hey, I'm going to DC to intern. Here's my card. When I come back, we should grab lunch or something. And cause I lived in Charleston at the time. And that's where you're in school. And I was like, all right. So, so we did. And, um, I remember I was just immediately just from that tiny interaction. And this is, I think this is like a great lesson for people. And you have so many great lessons of like things you did that were really brilliant, small things, but really important. That tiny interaction where you came up and, and gave me your card stood out so much, like so much so that when we got lunch later, three months later at that lunch, I was like, do you want to intern for me? Cause I was looking for an intern and I didn't, I didn't know you. I knew that you had interned over the summer and I knew that, you know, you like, I'm sure you did a good job. So there, there's some credibility given that, but yeah, like obviously you know, you're, you're going off your instincts. Yeah. It was, and it was just, you came up, you shook my hand, you made a point to come up to me and you were like, you know, whatever. And, and you can, you can laugh about business cards and stuff. People don't use those these days, but the basic idea of just saying, Hey, I heard a speaker. I think he was an interesting guy. He's kind of connected to, because I was working for a nonprofit at the time, doing some of the stuff that you were interested in. He's connected to things that I'm interested in. I'm going to go introduce myself and say, would we be able to get lunch? Something that small is so yeah. rare. I'm looking for interns. None of the other students that I went and talked with had done that. So who am I going to go to when I want an intern? I'll go to the one person that showed a little bit of ambition, you know? Yeah, essentially what you're saying is like, I signaled to you I wasn't a scared little kid. There's something here. Like, which it's a small thing, it's an important thing, but it, it shows like how low the bar is yes. to stand out. Yep. And, you know, nothing about that should be a scary interaction. Um, but the funny, the interesting thing for me is, you know, it's, I think it's a, it's a normal thing. I'm not trying to build it up to this big, impressive thing, but it was because of the experiences I had growing up. I was captain of my soccer team. I like had a closer, stronger relationship, like with my coaches and the typical, uh, you know, other kids on the team and stuff. Um, you know, personal, like personal soccer trainers. Like I was around adults a lot, really comfortable with them in high school. I, I was a golf caddy. So I had to like, you know, be around the big wigs and executives and, you know, be, be able to build camaraderie with them. So at, you know, especially today, like most college students, high school students, they don't really present themselves as young adults. They present themselves as old kids. 
And something as simple as just going up to somebody you found interesting, shake their hand and introduce yourself, like goes a long way. I it's, feel it's huge. like I'm my dad giving advice right now, but it's. No, it's, it's, it's amazing. The, the comfort with approaching an adult or an older adult conversing with someone who's, you know, presented or viewed as an authority position, comfort with doing that is such a huge thing. I mean, I remember in college, it blew me away, you know, cause I was homeschooled and then I went to, to college. So this was like, I don't know if it's like this in high school, but the students, none of them would ever like go up and talk to the professor. I mean, almost never, or like just ask them questions or just be interested in like their, anything about them. It was like, they're up here. We're here. We sit here so much so that when the professor would tell a hilarious joke, almost nobody would laugh. It was like uncool yeah. to laugh. And I would always be laughing. I'm like, what? This is funny. But it was like, no, no, no. That's the old person professor. We don't talk to them. We sit in their class and then we leave. Right. And that yeah. it's kind of that mentality kind of breaking through that. So, okay. So we had this lunch and I was like, Hey, you want to intern for me? And it was very ill-defined and vague internship, but I just, I wanted some, uh, I it want, was the uh, the Cramerica internship. Yes, this was from Seinfeld, the Cramerica Industries. You were uh, you were my Darren, um, and uh, and you did a great job. I mean, I just throw anything at you. You know, hey, go enter all this stuff into a spreadsheet. Hey, go make like a hundred phone calls to all of these people. It's like a list of donors to this nonprofit. We're having an event in their area. We're going right. to call everybody from that area who's ever donated fifty bucks or more. Here's the list. Start calling them. Just kind of grunt work, kind of. And you would just do it. You were great about it. You got it done. You never complained. Super easy to work with. It's, you know, we would get to, it was remote. You know, we would get together in person uh, once a week or whatever. Um, but I didn't have an office. So we weren't working together on a daily basis in, in, in the flesh. But I remember like, you did a great job. Great working with you. And then when I came up with the idea for Praxis, it was during this time. I think you were still interning for me. Yep. And I, I liked I, I only told my wife, TK, who's, who's my closest friend, and my brother, Levi, and one other friend. That's it. I only told, I was like keeping it really close to the vest, but I had this idea. I wrote out this business plan. And within like the first two days of writing it out, I showed it to you. And I was like, hey, what do you think of this? You're, you know, you're a college student. I think you were a senior at the time. This is this alternative to college or supplement or whatever. It's, it's just an apprenticeship program. Get people going. You know, but really the idea was to, you know, say college doesn't work, do this instead. And I remember, I can't remember if you were physically there or if we were on the phone, but I was sitting on a bench overlooking a pond in my backyard. Were you with me it or was, were we on the phone? I, I was with you. It was a very romantic setting. It was. I think we very, were smoking cigars together. There was some swans yeah. in the pond, you know, uh, it was very romantic. Yeah. Sunset, maybe. Um but I remember you said something to me that just totally stuck out. And, and you got like, when you have a, a, a business you want to start as an early entrepreneur, like it's, you feel like, I have no idea. Is this crazy? Is this not going to work? Is this going to fail? And of course your mom will be like, that sounds neat, honey. But like when somebody gives you something real, it means a lot. So I remember you were like, yeah, I looked over the thing you sent me. Um, I don't know what your plan is with it, but if you're starting this thing, I want to be a part of it. I want in. And that was like, the, that was like, I remember that stuck out to me. You just immediately were like, I'm in. I want to ask you what made you, what made you that interested in it? What made you say, 
I want to do this um, if this thing happens? Because it was just an idea at the time. Yeah. I mean, the, the idea itself, it felt like it embodied everything that I felt was wrong about not just college, but education in general. Some of it I could articulate at this point, some, some of it I couldn't. And then to be able to see like the, the concept for praxis, which is still pretty dang similar to exactly how the program runs right now. And like the core business model on paper, like it just immediately resonated with me. And I felt like for me, it was very simple. Like this is a really cool thing. I believe this should exist. I would like, this is what I want college to be for myself. And I also knew like more and more people want, you know, it would resonate with them too. And at that point in like my career discovery process, like I'm just looking for things that I would get personally fired up by and just want to be a part of. I wasn't really focused on like, how do I you know, what's my five-year plan to be, you know, making great money. Like I wanted to be part of something that was personally meaningful and that I thought could have a really great impact. And that would also be like a challenging thing to, to build. Yeah. I think it's what, what I love about that, what you said was that you didn't need to wait until all the pieces were in place to say, Okay, I'm in. I want to let you know that I want to do this thing. And you, with like unqualified, right? So it wasn't like, okay, yeah. well, is it real? Uh, do you have money? Are you paying? Are you hiring? Can I hire? Can you hire me? Can, you know, it was like, I'm in. I want to help you build this thing. Yep. And I want to be a part of it. And like that, I think that shows a lot of foresight. If you see something like that that you're interested in, you don't have to have all your questions answered to kind of express that kind of interest. So that stuck with me. And I'm like, okay, great. I got somebody who wants to be a part of this. So I, I had to, you know, try to get it, get it, put the curriculum together, do all the stuff, you know, register the business, all get it up and going, build the website. And I, I was doing that all just myself, bootstrapping it. And so I didn't have any money to pay you or anything. And so I told you, I said, well, I can't pay you anything right now, but I would love to hire you. We get to the point where I can. And so you would just kind of help me with different stuff. You kind of helped me along the way, just sort of for free. And when you graduated, uh, you got a job at a, at a nonprofit that you really liked. Um, and you continue to sort of help with stuff. And then we got to the fall of 2013, I think it was. And I, and I was, Praxis had now had launched and I was getting applications and I was like, okay, I need people to join this first class because I need to validate this thing. I need to have real customers. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of like just desperately trying to get anybody to join because we were on her. We just came out of nowhere. We had no credibility, no track record. Right. And so you said, you know, you'd been doing some stuff and helping out, but you said, Hey, what's the, you said something to the effect of what's the most valuable thing I could do for Praxis. Cause I'm like, dude, I, again, I would love to hire you. We don't have any money. We don't like, I can't hire you. you can't do anything yet. And, and I said, I'll be honest with you. The most valuable thing you could do for Praxis is be a customer. Yep. And I said, I know you've already got a job. You already graduated college, but I'll give you a, I'll give you a huge discount. And if you just join the program, go through the boot camp, participate in all the modules, and then be one of the participants. So then the first class will have six people 
instead, instead of five. Of five. And, at this, and, yeah. and, and at this point, we didn't have anybody. We might have had one confirmed person, but I was trying to be able to say, hey, the class is filling up. We got our first cousin. We got our first student. We got, and I was desperate to get anybody. And I'm like, I'm like, that's honestly the biggest thing. And you were like, okay, I'll do it. I'll be a customer. If you can't hire me yet, I'll be a customer. If this is valuable, let's, let's do it. I want to be a part of this thing. And like, that was such a massive shot in the arm for us. Just the difference between, you know, cause one of those six people dropped out two months in the difference yeah. between four people graduating that first class and five was, was massive in terms of just the, you know, one more story to tell one more bit yeah. of social proof. Right. Um, so I'm curious during, during that phase, and you were still helping us with some stuff, but you were, you know, a customer of Praxis. Customer first. Yeah. Yeah. What did you learn through that, that made you still excited to, to stick with? Cause it was basically, as soon as that was done, we were in a position where we could raise, we could hire, hire you on. And so we brought you on full time. Um, but while, while you were in the program, just tell me a little bit about that experience. I mean, and it was bumpy. We were making it up as we went in that first class. But what, what, what did you learn? What did you, you know, observe? Yeah. I, first of all, it, as a customer, the experience didn't feel bumpy at all. It was, it was awesome. And it, it felt very smooth and it was really valuable. But to set the stage, like on top of my, you know, I wanted to be a part of building Praxis. So that was plenty enough incentive to you know, become one of the first customers to be valuable to the company. But I also really valued going through Praxis just for like the sake of my own professional development. You know, I'm coming out of college. I have that first job. Um, I really valued that first job at fee, but I also knew at the same time, like, I don't want to be in this like nonprofit world long-term. This is not the career path I want. So I'm still trying to figure out what I want. And so I kind of use Praxis as this like more entrepreneurial approach to an MBA, essentially. Yeah. And the, the number one most valuable thing for me was by working full time in my first job out of school, plus spending my nights and weekends working on Praxis um, as a participant, that was a game changer. And the, the biggest theme was like it took my confidence of I can build the career that I want to build, you know, increased it 10x. Um, it was the first time I was, you know, doing a formal, like more educational program that I felt like I was choosing to do instead of I felt compelled to do like, to do like my entire school career. That was huge. And then working full time and then coming home and then like diving into the curriculum as it was set up back then it was super fun and enjoyable. And I, I also got to just like learn about the program and think about like what I would do differently. And I got to know, you know, TK, you know, who was also involved and in, in stuff. And it was just like something really exciting in the like educational early career space. And it felt like I like came alive from it. And so you know, there was no guarantees that you were able going, you know, you were going to be able to hire me at some point or that you would want to hire me at some point. It's not like we had this, you know, handshake agreement, like, oh, I'm definitely going to hire you if, you know, we get some funding or, you know, start, you know, getting more and more customers. I think we felt pretty confident that would happen, but I was looking at it just as much as like, hey, like, 
I see this first job out of college. I want, I can see myself staying here for, you know, a couple of years, but my goal is to figure out what I want to do next. And by going through Praxis, I just felt really confident. I could go create the opportunities I wanted for myself, even if I didn't know exactly what they were at the time, you know, ahead of time. And um, that, that came from going through the program and being surrounded by like the general mindset and like philosophy of what the program's all about more than anything. Yeah. I mean, you absolutely crushed in the program while you were crushing it at your job. Uh, they loved you. Uh, I think you got at least one promotion during that, during that year. So when we, when we got to the point where we did raise a little bit of money and I was like, all right, now we're, you know, we've proven it. We had one class graduate and another class had just started. I, I got to hire Cameron. It's absolutely number one on my list for all those reasons. Again, it's like just a series of little things. You were interested in something. You came up and talked to me after that talk. You interned for me. You just did whatever. You never complained. You did a great job. As soon as you heard about Praxis, you said, I want to be a part of this. When I told you all, all, I could, all I could get was have you as a customer, you're like, I'm in. I'll do it, right? This track record, it made you the absolute obvious number one choice when we needed to hire somebody to help get this thing going. When, when you were brought on, what, I don't even remember. What was, your, what was your role when you first came on? Were you reviewing applications and, and coaching participants through the program? Where I, I can't even remember what all you were doing. Yeah, so I was the one person on the team that didn't have any title. Um, and I was doing a little bit of everything. I, I was running our application process. So everything from interviews to like first round reviews of new applicants and you know running like the acceptance uh, like final review stage and everything. I was working closely with TK on the uh, like the advising and coaching of participants as they went through the program. And then I was kind of like coordinating most of our like in-person marketing events and stuff. So, and obviously like we were a team of four or five to get started. So everybody was doing a little bit of everything, but pretty much everybody else on the team outside of you and me, like had more of a specialization and that was the best, like, that's the best thing for me because one, like I didn't have this specific specialized skill set. what I could bring value, like what was valuable was just being able to chip in in a lot of different areas. And, and I think I was able to, I was good at like connecting the dots and figure out like, okay, how could we make this process better? How could we make the program experience better? But there wasn't one thing you could point to and be like, oh, Cameron does this really well. So it allowed me the freedom and flexibility to just learn by doing a bunch of different things for really like the first two years of working for Praxis. Dude, you were, you were the fixer. It was the greatest thing ever. It would be like any, anything that is suboptimal or just has been neglected or whatever, just put Cameron on it. Just be like, Cameron, just make this better. I don't know what's going on over here. Fix it. Or um, any, anybody that I would pair. Well, I don't know what exactly got cut off, but I was saying you were the fixer that yep. anything that was, it was problematic or whatever. Just be like, Cameron, just go figure it out, do something. And, and it would just get magically better. It would just improve or like, okay. TK is working on a revamp of the curriculum. And I'd be like, Cameron, you just work on it with him. And then TK would come back to me and be like, dude, I feel like this thing was just put on steroids with Cameron on the team. Cameron finds a way to get the best out of me. Like I could pair you up with anybody and suddenly their work would be better. 
And like you had this way, again, that's that coaching thing. So the one thing that we did notice, you did say you were managing the in-person marketing events. We did a lot of tabling at conferences and stuff in those early days. We did have to pull you off of tabling. That is one yeah. thing because- It became um, dangerous for my the, health. Yeah, the flu game. We would have a bucket of candy at the table and uh, Cameron ate the whole bucket and got really sick and he couldn't, he couldn't control himself. So maybe that's one of those lack of, of self-control moments. <laughs> um, but you powered through that was your flu game you powered through the sickness I remember uh, I remember that um, but no I, I think again like you never sought credit or a title or you just wanted to do whatever you could to make Praxis succeed and like you you just you would just do it like the the problem would just go away if I put Cameron on it. it was kind of how I felt at the time and it was so so invaluable to me so um you know as the company grew and we got up to 10 employees and 15 employees I I would just put you in charge of more and more and I don't know at some point you officially got the COO title or or something to that effect but I mean that's basically yeah. what you were from day 1 like you just you just right. made the trains run you know um, so tell me about you, you worked with participants directly. You coached some of our participants, you went did application review. Um, and then you also worked on the business partner side, working to acquire new business partners and to place people at business partnerships. What did you see and what did you learn in those two experiences? Um, and what was different about them? Yeah. So I first, when I, when I first joined for really like the first year and a half, two years, my primary day-to-day responsibility was working directly with participants and stuff. And that was a very comfortable thing for me, just kind of that, that coaching aspect and, and whatnot, something I felt I, I really enjoyed doing. And I felt, you know, very, you know, suited to doing and stuff. Um, and then it was like two and a half years in, there was this gap that we needed to fill on like biz dev and, and placement recruiting companies to hire participants and stuff. And there was a gap that we needed to fill in in the business partner side. And then we froze up. I apologize. Hopefully it won't happen again, but we'll, we'll bring this home in the okay. next 15, 20 minutes. All right. Um, yeah, there was a gap that needed to be filled on the biz dev side. And that was a big moment for me at Praxis and in my career and like personal development, because that felt very much out of my comfort zone. I felt extremely underqualified to run that part of the program. And I just knew like, one, this needed to be done. And we weren't having a lot of success, like finding the right person that we were excited to bring in to do it. And two, like, I felt like I, it was a personal challenge that I saw of like, Hey, if I can prove to myself that I can do this, then I feel like that's going to open up you know, greater opportunities for me down the road. So it wasn't even work that I was excited to do personally that I was like, oh yeah, like I love this. If it was, I would have already probably been, you know, at least helping out with it. Um, but that was, I did that. I ran that for about a year and a half, two years. And it was really hard. 
there was there was points where I felt like miserable doing it. And there was points where it was super exciting. And I felt like I was, you know, finding my groove and it, it was huge. Like just to do something that for me personally, was like really challenging. Probably the hardest part of the business at the time was making sure our participants got jobs um, and help helping them do that. And I felt a, a very strong sense of accomplishment when I was able to hand that off. And I felt a sense of relief as well. But uh, looking back on it, I feel really proud. And I credit that of just like, all right, I had the like courage to jump into something that I didn't feel comfortable with and kind of figured things out, you know, as I go along, I still look at that period and be like, that's the toughest thing I've ever done, even more so than, you know, when, when I took over as CEO a little over two years. No, ago. I feel like that was the moment when, cause as I said before, you know, you've done pretty much everything in the company, except you actually had not really done anything on the business partner side, but every other, other thing you had. And when we, when we needed to hire a new person to do that. And like you said, we had, you know, we had trouble finding the right person. We had somebody fall through at the last minute, which is a whole other story. It might've been collusion. You might've colluded. I don't know. That's a different, well, it's for a different day. Um, but I remember you asked me to go out to breakfast and we go out to breakfast and you said you, again, you saw a problem that needed to be solved and you were like, okay. And you said, all right, I got a pitch for you. I'll take that role. I'll do it. I'll, I'll be the business partner guy. And I'm like, are you sure you've never done that before? It's not. And you're like, I got it. And, uh, I think that was when you became an obvious CEO in my mind, right? Yeah. Because now you, you have done every part of the business and what a CEO needs to be able to, in a crisis, step yeah. into any department and, and do anything right into, especially in a smaller, you know, an earlier company. Um, and you saying, okay, I don't even care that I'm not passionate about it or that I don't have any experience in it. This is a major problem. And you were a trusted guy. You, you knew Praxis well. I knew how you worked well. And you're like, let me take it on. Let me do it. And I mean, it was, it was tough, but you did it, right? You did it. And that was, yep. that was pretty amazing. Just, again, don't be afraid, people, to, uh, to go make a pitch to how to solve a problem. That's how you make yourself absolutely invaluable. Okay, so, so we raised some money to build this platform. The platform ended up becoming Crash, which, you know, separate from Praxis, and we split it off, and you came with the Crash team, because I'm like, I got to have Cameron, I got to have my guy, and we were in San Francisco for the summer as we're getting this thing off the ground, and as we went through that summer, it became clear that our original vision for how we were going to roll out Crash was a, was a bad idea, it wasn't, wasn't going to work well that way. We were trying to do too many things at once and you were going to sort of be on the business side of the market. And it was like, well, we're going to, we're going to just get rid of that side in the, in the first phase. And so it was like, Hey, I don't think this makes sense, but I was still CEO of Praxis at the time. And it was basically, I mean, not being entirely neglected, but it wasn't getting the, the, the leadership that it needed and deserved because I'm working on building crash. And I remember just, I don't even remember if, see, this is crazy because it's like our minds were just laying. I don't remember if you pitched me or I pitched you, but I think I came to you and said, I want you to be the CEO of Praxis. Are you game for this? Um, what made you decide to, because you've been through a lot at Praxis. You've been through the trenches and you've done a lot of yeah. stuff and then crash and then that didn't work out the way that it was supposed to. You could have just gone and done something new. 
And I, and I think you thought about that for a while, right? But what made you decide, yeah, I want to do this. I want to take over and I want to, I want to take Praxis to the next level. Yeah, it was, you know, it was, uh, I was, I mean, I came to you and told you like, hey, Crash does not need me. And it's, it's clear like with where the, you know, what phase we're in. Like, That's right. You did come to um, me. I'm not, I'm not going to be valuable to the company and stuff, you know, with what the company needs and everything. Um, I felt very comfortable with that. I think that comes down to just like, you know, self-confidence at the end of the day. Like I know what I am and I know what I'm not. Well, Um, and, and, and you said, and this is so true, but it's very, very hard for people. You, you don't want to work at a place if you don't feel that you can bring enough value, that's like not a good, it doesn't feel, you don't want to accept a paycheck if you don't feel like the value you can deliver is commensurate with that. Right. And like, yep. I, you're, you're my, you're my guy. Like I loved working with you. You're my guy. So I probably would have kept you around long. Right. You know what I mean? Right. We could find a way. If I, if I saw like, okay, this isn't going the way we thought it was going to, but I'm just going to ride it out and collect the paycheck and mail it in a little bit and just be around or whatever. Like, obviously that wouldn't have been good for anybody. Um, but yeah, after that one, like I had made that decision and then you brought up to me like, Hey, what do you think about coming back as CEO of Praxis? And my initial thought was like, I was pretty skeptical. I was like, you know, I I feel like I'm just ready for something new. I'd rather go find out what that is. And you know, we were, we've been in the trenches for four or five years at this point. Um, so I was like ready for a little, a little break too. And, um, but I, I thought about it for a weekend and literally like every hour of that weekend, I was actually more excited about the idea and I just trusted myself. Like I was, I was excited about it. I wasn't gonna, you know, worry about like the details of like, oh, is this the right thing to do given what I'm just coming out of? Or, you know, how much, you know, well, what are you going to pay me as CEO for the first six months, whatever, while the, you know, these two businesses are, are still one in the same and whatnot. Like I saw the opportunity and at the end of the day, just like the first time I joined Praxis to begin with, like the answer was like, this is the one thing over everything else I could do that I want to do. So the answer is yes. And we'll figure, figure everything else that needs to be figured out. You have a way of stepping into storms as well. I mean, like when you took over the business, the placement side, it was a mess. It was a storm. Yeah. And this was kind of a mess. Praxis was kind of yeah. a mess because it had been sort of neglected. We were, we were going through the process of legally splitting crash and Praxis and it had all this crazy, I mean, it was, it was super discombobulated. There was staff changes, people that didn't know what was going, like, it was not easy. It was not an easy time to step in. And you, you took that on and you, your first year was, was what you do very, very well, putting out fires and just getting things in order. And then it kind of feels like in the last year, you've, you've had a chance to now start building what it is that you want to build. So I want to talk about that. I mean, first of all, let's just zoom out. From intern to CEO in five years, literally for, from, from an intern who heard about an idea from a, about a company and said, I want to be a part of that to running that company five, six years later. That's yeah. a crazy story. And it's literally just a process of never being too good for the grunt work, always saying yes to things and always looking to solve problems, not caring who gets the credit um, and just being the obvious, the obvious CEO pick because of that. So, so you kind of, you got through that bumpy phase and the transition was, was sort of bumpy. 
And then um, now it's your baby. I mean, now Praxis, and, and you brought in Mitchell, who was your one-time roommate. Actually, I think you coached him through the Praxis program, right? Yeah, I, I was his advisor during the program. Um, sometimes he feels more excited to share that than others. <laughs> you taught him. Uh, but no, we, I mean, we were, we were roommates, uh, watched him go through the program. We just built a really strong relationship. And I think just quick note on Mitchell, like I think pretty early on meeting each other and getting to know each other, we knew like at some point in the future, like we're going to work together and stuff. Yeah. 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 So tell me what's it like, man? How's it been? How do you feel with what you have in front of you? What are you guys working on? What's the, you know, tell, tell me how Praxis has been going in the last year or two. I know you've done some really cool stuff, a medical freedom scholarship with COVID. I, I know you guys have been, have been growing. Um, give me a, give me a state of the Praxis as it stands and a state of the CEO. And then uh, what's next? Yeah. So the two years since we, we took over the business, it's, it's gone better than I expected. Um, the first year, like we need to get me out of the way and everything just started to go amazing. Yeah. The problem, problem <laughs> solved. Now the, the first year, like we knew coming in what needed to be done to essentially like rebuild things, both on the sales and marketing side and kind of getting the, a, a tighter, leaner team and, you know, improve the program experience and everything. And, you know, it's just like starting a new job. Like you come in with that, you know, super like high energy passion for it. And it's like, you feel like you could just do whatever needs to be done in that first like six to 12 months and stuff. And <laughs> looking back, it's like, thank God we, we had that energy because it, it went by really quickly, but like we took over the business and January 2020. And uh, we were hit with some, you know, curveballs along the way. And, um, you know, it, but it, you know, by six months in, it felt like we were building momentum, essentially. And um, so the, the first year, it was just like, let's just make everything better. Like, let's not, we're not trying to like, completely change the structure of the program or anything like that, or, you know, get to creative or fancy with a business model. Like we knew Praxis is this amazing program experience. The customers have had these incredible outcomes. A few things just need to be, you know, tweaked here and there. And then, you know, we got to get things right with the program. So Mitchell and I can just like a hundred percent focus on growth. Um, so that's been really like the last six months where it's like, all right, we have an awesome team. They, they run a kick-ass program. Uh, I feel like the, not just the number of participants grows every year, but the quality of young people seeking college alternatives out has been huge. Like the, I think the big theme with all the, you know, BS that's been going on over the past two years is it's made, made it much easier for young people to look at college and be like, why the heck would I give those people my money and my time and, and, you know, trust them with, you know, put my future into their hands essentially so a lot of people that, as we know, um, didn't really value college experience to begin with, but just felt obligated to go due to you know, familial and social pressure, they're now in a position to be like, hey, what else is out there for me? And uh, I feel like all the hard work we've done you know, getting Praxis started since 2013 has put us in, in this incredible position to really like take off from here. Um, you know, we were 
back to doing over a hundred participants in the program a year, have like super high graduation rates. The, you know, the jobs that participants are getting, they're at awesome growing companies or doing really cool work. The community of Praxis is like super fired up. There's activity, you know, constantly 24 seven in the community and everything. And um, I feel like, you know, we can, we're in the position where it's like, we can build the business and the program that we want to build. It's kind of like in our hands of, you know, do you keep Praxis on the, you know, smaller side and keep it a little bit more exclusive and, um, you know, make sure like the types of people that are doing the program are the right fit and we're able to work with them really closely or, you know, do you want to blow this thing up and stuff? And, you know, personally, like my, you know, it's interesting. Like I, I think about my career motivations a lot. And when I got started, what initially attracted me to Praxis was like, I'm this kid trying to figure out, like, I just want to work on something that's personally fulfilling and in, in, impactful. And that's still true today, but it's also not enough anymore as I've grown. And now I'm just as excited about building the best business possible. And it's like a huge cherry on top that that business gets to be Praxis. And I think that's the, that's like the best service that I could give to Praxis is like, I'm trying to make this like the greatest business that I, that I can make it. And obviously that's going to be, you know, in the best interest of our customers, hiring partners and everything like that. So um, I tell the team this pretty much every month, but every month I get more and more fired up about what we're building and what we get to do. And especially with everything that's going on in the world, it feels like Praxis gets to be like this haven where sane, you know, people can come and be like, all right, like, I want to become a better version of myself. I want to build a career that I feel like I have control and agency over. And I don't feel like I'm dependent on these, you know, large institutions to, you know, for survival, whether it's higher education or, you know, larger corporations and everything like that, that independence and, and sense of control over your life. Like, I think that's what Praxis really stands for at the end of the day. And we deliver that in a very clear, tangible way through, you know, the, the apprenticeship program. Yeah. It's, it's been pretty amazing to see how much the tide has turned from when we started this thing, 2013. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, the way, and, in, and even, I mean, when you were doing applications and things in 2015, what, trying to talk to applicants, trying to talk to their parents, the resistance that the kind of people, the true early adopters who were willing to try this program were like, mostly out on the fringes, you know? Yep. Um, and it was a, it was a tough sell even there. Our own track record and success has definitely helped, but the world has shifted so much to where almost all the brightest, most ambitious people, even if they're in college, they're like, yeah, it's a waste, right? Like it's not that hard to p- people understand that now. And, and I think it's been, it's really, really hard. To, to run something like this and an alternative to, to a very powerful status quo institution that has sort of a religious dogma behind it with college. And we have seen so many come and go in the time that that Praxis has been going. And right. um, uh, there's, there's still a lot there and there's, I think more alternatives are going to continue to pop up, but it is, and some have come with huge funding, big names behind them, big flash, big fanfare, and they kind of peter out. And 
what I love about like Praxis is not going anywhere. It's here for the long haul. And there's nobody that's better at staying in the arena and, and just continuing to fight than, uh, than Cameron Sorsby. Um, give us, give us some thoughts on what do you, what occupies most of your headspace now when you think about Praxis? What are the things that are, that are most on your mind that you're looking, looking to? Yeah, I keep it super simple. Um, I'm either thinking about how to, how to grow Praxis, how to bring in, you know, more Praxis quality participants, customers, or I'm thinking about how to make the program experience better for, for existing and future customers. And, um, the, probably the thing I'm most proud of over the past few years is like the team that we've built. Um, you know, we have outside of me and Mitchell, we have one other person that's still on the team that was here before Sarah. And, um, we have a lot of advisors that still work with us, but, and then the, the rest of the team is like, you know, they've, they've known about Praxis. They've been involved in it. They're, you know, they're personally invested in the program, but everyone brings a certain level of like expertise. And it's like, for something as like big as what we do at Praxis, it's not, you know, an online course, obviously. It's not something you can set and forget. Like you need to have a great team in place to, to build what we want. And that that's what allows like Mitchell and I, the, the like permission to be like, all right, how much do we want to grow this year rather than what do we need to do to, to keep what we have and everything. But every six months, the program experience gets even better for participants. And every year there's more alumni with these amazing, you know, long-term success stories that came through Praxis and everything. So it just feels like momentum keeps building, but yeah, yeah. growing, growing and, and improving the program experience. Uh, last question for you. If you absolutely were not allowed to work on practice, you had to do something else what's one other business you'd want to start or industry you'd want to work in oh man that's i feel like that's an even tougher question today than it used to be um when we would talk about it but i would i would either like just become kind of like an entrepreneur through business acquisition and just find like really good um businesses, you know, in like smaller niche industries. Um, it, I think it matters less about what the business actually is. And it's more about like, Hey, like, can I take something, you know, work on it for two to three years, make it better, and then put it in a position to succeed without me. I would, I would love to do that. I think, you know, my, my skill set. like I remember at 18 through 23, I was like, it was hard for me to even articulate like what do I what am I good at what am I selling somebody on the value I can create I, I didn't know the answer to that and I think you know the answer that it is today and that I want it to be is like I can build great businesses that's that's kind of like the legacy I, I see leaving like over the you know the next couple decades and stuff um, it used the answer used to be like I want to be a general manager of a sports franchise but uh that, that just seems more bureaucratic and, and corporate for my well, liking. You, these you, days. So if, that. you know, you, if the you Spurs buy, come with an offer today, I, I might have to, uh, yeah. to pass on that. You, I mean, you buy, you buy a bunch of businesses, you help them run better, be more profitable. You make a bunch of money off that. And then you buy the sports team. There you go. 
Then you don't need to be the general go. manager. And then you well, hire then me can, as your I general can be manager. Both. I can both be the owner and GM, do a Jerry Jones style. That's true. That's true. You can hire me, and then the apprentice will be the master completely. <laughs> Full so I will be. I will come in. You buy a sports team, I will be coming to you like you came to me. I'll be like, what can I do? Anything. I will intern. <laughs> I will work for free. Just let me know. Especially the if answer is yes. <laughs> oh, man. We could probably buy them today. <laughs> oh, hey, man. It was great to catch up and super excited to, um, to keep looking at, you know, keep, keep following what Praxis is doing. It's been awesome to see. Uh, the quality just keeps going up. The, the, the participants that are coming out of there, I run across them all the time. I, I hire them. Uh, they're amazing. Um, what, uh, if people want to follow you, what's the best way? Twitter, most active on Twitter. So just at Cameron Sorsby. And then, uh, you know, go go check out Praxis, discoverpraxis.com. Did I hear a rumor that you were going to start a, a Substack newsletter of some kind? It's coming out. It's coming it? out Q, okay. Q1 2022. All right. All right. Now you've said it. It has been spoken. Hey, man. Great to chat. All right. See you, Isaac.